This week's guest needs little introduction as Michael Ingham is a former goalkeeper who has been both Clubman of the Year and captain and was an integral part of the Wembley Twice team. He served the club in two separate spells, the first on loan in 2003 before a permanent switch in 2008. If you are listening to this podcast and feeling a little cold as your boiler is on the blink then this week's sponsors hp plumbing may be on hand to help hp plumbing do gas boiler installations and offer 10-year guarantees so why not give them a call on 01904 750 222 hospital ball is a spin-off from york hospital radio views of our guests are their own and not necessarily the views of the radio station but without further ado here is episode two michael ingham so i'm going to take it right far back to when you started out playing professionally 20 odd years ago played for cliftonville and then signed for sunderland how did that move come about so i was growing up doing my a levels in my secondary school and i was playing probably football monday to Monday to Saturday, the only day off would be a Sunday, and then I was playing Gaelic on a Sunday, so it was non-stop. So I got to 17, and a lot of the Irish League clubs were after me. And one of the things I always say in my career is, the one thing that made me, in a way, so early in my career, was that my uncle grabbed me and said, you're not going to the Irish League, you're going to play men's football. So I played a high standard of Saturday League football for him and his mates, and from a young, skinny little 17-year-old, I got kicked from pillar to post, elbows in the head, and it toughened me up, and... I believe if I didn't have that year, I wouldn't have gone into the, the semi-pro, because Clifton was semi-pro side of it, as strong as I did. That year, I, I really broke in at Christmas time. We had an English goalkeeper called Paul Reese. I was doing really well, and he was on a lot more wages than me, so the club decided to get rid of him and put me in. And then from Christmas till April, done really, really well. Got two two cup finals, and clubs started coming to watch me. Lucky enough, Sunderland put a bid in, which was accepted, and off I went. Now I've gone into coaching, I always say, to young lads that sometimes you get knocked back and I got knocked back when I was 15 went to Peterborough I got knocked back and then when I was 17 I got back by knocked back by Newcastle I, I had a different mindset I went away and seen what I needed to work on and the difference between the lads that were there and and so it was basically the physicality side of it I needed to work on and so lucky enough after this bid from Sunderland came in Newcastle came back in along with Middlesbrough the three northeast clubs but because they had looked after me I, I wasn't I wasn't brought up with a dad so I always like respect my mum's decision and she wanted me to go there so as soon as my mum said that and she knew like her big son was going away for it was a bit easier for her to let her son go so I decided to to reject the other bids and just um, keep my head on Sunderland. Being 18 moving to Sunderland must have been quite a big, yeah. big thing at the time I mean did you move there just yourself then? And I had a family holiday booked and I signed and I looked at the contract and I said, oh, it starts on the 1st of July. So I was really excited. I says, so Peter Reeves was standing beside me and I said to my mum, I said, oh, I can't go now on holiday. He says, I'm going to have to come back. And he turned and went, no, you're not. Get yourself off. You can come back after your holiday. So that's how that's how good they looked after me at the start. So yeah, I think I went over about the 14th of July and straight in because I came back late. The first team were away on pre-season tour and the youth team were away. So it was basically the, the lads that didn't make the squad or were injured I was training with and it became a really lonely place and, and I suffered from homesickness for the first I'd say two months I just remember the old pro saying to me just get your head down and work hard and you'll get over it and which I did 
what was the difference in standard like then? Because you talked about you'd been built up there with a bit of men's football. Obviously, you've gone to a Premier League team. It's phenomenal, really, the step up. I mean, I was going from an Irish Premier League into what they all call now the biggest league in the world. And I was going in and everybody seemed bigger than me and didn't know what to say, so, you know, quiet around the place and stuff like that. Because there's some quite big characters there as well, weren't there? I was looking at when you signed, it was like John Oster... Alex Ray, Danny Dickio, McAteer. Yeah. And maybe not when you started, but around it. Yeah, I think the I think the good thing about Sunderland was it had a really strong Irish contingent. I mean, we had a few Northern Irish players and a lot of Southern Irish players, especially in the youth team. So because I wasn't supposed to go into the hostel with the young lads because I was classified as a pro, but they recognised that I've come over from Ireland and stuck me in there, and that's what probably settled me in. The likes of Niall Quinn was phenomenal. I mean, I can tell you loads of stories how he looked after me. And like just a quick one, when you broke into the first team and sat on the bench, you had to give 40% of your, your win bonus towards other staff like groundsmen, chefs, mm. cleaners, kit men, stuff like that. And it was put in the bag and then split equally. And I remember being on the bench the year we finished seventh. I think we won six games in a month. And a, but we were, we were on <laughs> top 10 teams, six grand to win. Bottom 10 teams, I think it was four grand to win. If you sat on the bench, you got 40% of that. Basically, it was about £2,400 a win. You got 40% of the 6000 and then you had to give you 10%, which was 240 quid. And we had about four wins that month. And I've gone to the bank and got the cash out. And here comes Quinny with a brown bag. Lads are getting out of the back pocket and sticking wads of money in this big brown bag. So I've got a, nearly enough £1,000 taken out of my back pocket and just about to put it in. And Quinny goes, what are you doing? I says... I'm putting my shirt on. He goes, no, you're not. I've put it in for you. I said, you go, and, you go and spend that on yourself. I went, oh my God. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was things like that. It's mm. just like unexpected. And another story, a young family member of mine, Belfast, got diagnosed with leukemia at a young age and they had a fundraiser night. And I mentioned to Quinny. Quinny didn't say anything. He just said, oh, tell him I was sending on my guards and what was mm. she gets the treatment and that. And then, Next day, I'm sitting in the change room and he comes in with two Republic of Ireland tops from his last game. He says, what's the kid's name? And I says, Jamie. He says, to Jamie, best wishes, Niall Quinn. He says, give that one to him. And he says, I'll sign this one for you. You can get that auction. So he give one. It's brilliant. Because yeah, I imagine not everyone's like that as well, you know. I think you get the respect from the older players in the Premier League if if you're there and you put your head down, you work hard and they can see you and you respect them. And I think that's that's what happened with me. And on a Friday, the old-fashioned way was we used to play 11 v 11 on a Friday and it was the first 11 against like our reserves that we were going to play against the next day but usually Tommy Sorensen who was number one didn't want to go over because after the 11 aside it was a short sided game and he didn't so sometimes Tommy was on his way over and after a couple of times he said no to coming over and the last, the first team would shout nope get you back we want Ingy they would always ask for me I always tell this story to young kids that the year Kevin Phillips won Golden Boot and I say this to young lads he was always the first one on last one off and there was a reason why I mean Every single Friday, he used to go to me, right, and he'd get in goal, because he knew I would try my best. And he said, 10 shots. If I miss or you save it, it's a point to you. If I score, it's a point to me. So it usually come out even. It was like 50 quid on it, but we never transferred money. But he knew that I would try my best. And I think that's where I got the respect from the, the first team lads at, at Sunderland. Did you expect to play when you signed? Because I, I know a lot of young lads might sign from, from smaller clubs or, or, or be picked out and stuff, but that maybe they go to these big clubs and think, well, I'll just go for a bit of experience. But did you have a belief that you thought, actually, maybe not at 18, I'll get in the Premier League, but I'll no. over time, by the end of my contract, I will be knocking on that door? The way I just love to play, and when I first went over, I always remember the first year I went over and weighed 12 stone 7. And I looked at these lads like, you've got 
Tommy Sorensen, you've got Paul Butler, you've got Niall Quinn, they're all like Stan Varga, like all what we call tanks. They're massive. <laughs> Gaffer pulls me and goes, um, you won't be training as much this year. And I says, you'll be in the gym more. I'm like, oh, right. And I went, I did the gym that much that year. There was times where my body like locked up and I couldn't train because I didn't weights that, that much. And I remember going back home the first summer after the first season and going into the house and I put a stone on and I, I trimmed up but I put a stone on a muscle, muscle. And, stuff, yeah. and I've walking in and people haven't seen me for a year and first thing you went wow you're on steroids I went no <laughs> so the reason why I believe I got my career is I was always knocking on the gaffer's door I says I'm not playing the first team not playing the reserves you don't need me for the bench for the first team can I go on loan and I think I went on loan eight to ten times when I was at Sunderland for a while did they become a little bit frustrating because you're kind of going from different different places without settling it was frustrating when you when you go to the places like your Stokes and your Stockport and you're promised to play and you go down and like on the Stockport situation I went down and the gaffer Carton Palmer said to me oh we were going to throw you straight in but the goalkeeper on Saturday kept a clean sheet we were trying to get you in before that game uh, but we need to stick by him and then all of a sudden he, I've come in and obviously you know give him a shock and a bit of competition and he's gone on to do really really well so, but that's mm. frustrating because I'm giving up my time where I, I want to go and play the York spell, the Wrexham spell, the Darlington spell, they're all, I believe, that give me the rest of the career because if I had a sat on Sunderland's reserve bench or Sunderland's first team bench and not really played, I wouldn't impress Jason McGill. I wouldn't impress Dennis Smith at Wrexham. I wouldn't impress managers like Russell Slade who tried to sign me. Um, so I think they really set me up for my career. Them loan spells were getting that 100 and 120 appearances from the loans got me the probably next 17 years of a pro career. And injuries you mentioned Darlington there, you, you played in the last ever game at, at Boothry Park yeah. didn't you, at Hull and I was reading up on that match report earlier and it sounds like you had an incredible game. You beat them 1-0. Yeah, there yeah. was 14 and a half thousand there. It was the last game there. They must have been desperate to score. Yeah. And I think, was it Stephen Elliott? I think you made three. Well, we, we went 1-0 up after about 11 or 14 minutes and then we just got bombarded from Stuartie Elliott and it was Stuartie Stuart a, yeah, yeah. a teammate of mine in Northern Ireland and I just remember after the game because we knew it was their last game and they were just trying to trying to get results and we just hung on and then I could just see all the crowd just waiting and I thought These Stuart, there's not enough stewards here and I was just thinking oh my god I need to get off the pitch as quick as I can so I'm standing at the edge of the box and the final whistle goes and trying to sprint but you can only get so much way and then you're trying to fight through I mean I guess in the game when when you're getting shots in at you and you don't play for that club I guess it's quite good for you then isn't it to kind of put yourself almost in a shot window yeah or... yeah. I mean that's that's in the back of your head I mean you're going to places like Darlington and you're going to places like York and in your head you're throwing right I'm coming here to play men's football and first of all I need to earn a respect of the, t- the change room I've walked into and second of all if I do really really well here I can go back and stake a claim to be involved more more or less the year after um, because my loans were usually towards the end of the year yeah. or a short one in the middle. But how, yeah. did, how did the move at York first come about then? Because obviously I know Alan Fettis left, didn't he? There was, I think it was the time when John Batchelor and the money problems and yeah. it was going on for about two weeks in the negotiations and someone wouldn't release me until there was some sort of agreement with the wages but then I think all of a sudden Reedy says right oh he needs to play so I was borrowed to York f- for free so none pay my wages and it was just agreed that they would pay for my keep my, uh, stayed above a bar in York and then they would pay for travel expenses so yeah uh, I remember coming down and because I think there's a clause in your contract if you don't get paid two months you're allowed to walk on a free it's quite funny because I, I've travelled down and I've come down with Michael Reddy um, unfortunately Michael's last game because he had his three months and he couldn't sign on again 
Um, so we played together in that game, and I remember getting to to the KC Stadium, and Fats went, "Of all the people in this world to replace me at you," and I started laughing. And I, he said to me, "Oh, you play?" And he went, "No, nah, Muzzy's done really well." And then obviously now, yeah, when you yeah. look at Muzzy's, the goalie coach that was my goalie coach yeah. at Wembley twice, so it's a small world. I mean, I remember that. That I remember being at Hull that day, and it was a really good performance by by the club, and it, yeah. and, it, and it was strange, really, because you didn't know whether the club was still going to exist at the end of yeah. the season, yet we still had a chance of getting in the playoffs. playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even, I think, later on as well, I went to Darlington away on a Tuesday night. I think Lee Bullock scored an equaliser and then Barry Conlon got one late on. And it, it was only sort of towards the end of the season it started to sort of peter out a little bit, York's yeah. challenge. How was it being in that side? Because obviously these players, some of them weren't getting paid, some of them didn't know where, where the futures were going to be. I mean, I came down and I always remember the training ground being like a mud pit and... If you, I don't know if you've ever been at the training ground, but it's got that clay underneath. It's got that smelly clay, and then you were like head to toe in it, and you like you really stunk after training sessions. I mean, I only, I think I only trained on the Friday, and then I travelled with the team on the on the Saturday. I remember having a skinhead. I don't know. I must have been going through like a young crisis in my young age. I remember them breaking down the left wing. I think it might have been Stuart Elliott breaking down the left wing. He cut back one to Jimmy Forrester and. I just see him steaming him from about seven yards. I think I'm just going to have to go here and make myself as big as I possibly can. He's going to score. And he just hit it full blast straight on my face. And the next thing I just remember is just like tears coming down my face. <laughs> and I had to Skinhead with tears. Yeah, <laughs> skinhead with tears coming down my face. It was just like, it hit me <laughs> plumb in the face and it just made my eyes water up. And I just thought, everybody was like clapping me and I couldn't remember where it went. It took me about three or four minutes to come round. But I always remember that squad because it was, it was some great characters in it. You had like, Chris Smith, who was a young lad yeah, at then. Yeah. You had um, Jimmy Beadle, you had Johnny Parkin, me Noggs. I work with Noggs now. Uh, we talk about it's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Noggs. And then you had Potts is now manager. Darren Emmitson. So I, I believe we had a really good squad. It was just the circumstances, yeah, the circumstances it, against us. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that the, the reason it kind of petered out was, was because of the off field stuff, really? If that had been settled. No, I, I, do you know what? I think we, we don't, we got some really, really good results against the big teams. And I always remember the last two games, I think it was South End, which sticks in my mind. I think it might have been South End at home. And they were going for a relegation battle. And it just seemed that we took our foot off the pedal a little bit and then it sunk in a little. I think we lost the two games. Yeah, I think the last six or seven yeah. games, I don't think you're going to win. It's... No, no. And then I think we dropped out of it by two or three points in the end. And our last game was Oxford away because I came off at half time and Stocky made his debut. Right. Yeah, David Stockdale made his debut. So when we talked about earlier about trying to impress, I had clubs after me from that spell. And I went back to York and Mick McCarthy had just taken over. And I says, oh, because I'm a Celtic fan, I says, I've heard Celtic for me, can I go? And he went, nope. He says, you're on the bench next year at Sunderland, you're my number two. As soon as I heard that, I was like, oh my God. Still had about three or four games left for York, but I knew I was going back yeah, to yeah. sit on the bench at York. I, th- I think I remember you playing for Sunderland, is it away at Ipswich once, on a, on a Sky game? Sometimes I got named in some Sunderland fanzines, worst time, worst 11 and all this, but but they don't really know the circumstances behind it. So I went to Doncaster in the season alone and I had a shoulder injury for, and I was out for six months and I was coming back from injury. Our number two, Ben Anik, his best mate, had passed away and I hadn't kicked the ball for about seven months and then the gaffer says, we've got a reserve game against Bolton on Monday. You're playing 45 minutes and then you're playing live on Sky. The biggest game of the season. We only need a point. And I says, okay. So I went in, played the 45 minutes, played on 
and I made a mistake for the first goal. Like a cross came, a corner came in and it dipped on me last minute and didn't get there and they scored. But we drew 2 2. And I remember it was Gary Breen that came out and stuck up for me and said, People don't know the situations behind it. Like, Ingy shouldn't have really played and what he's done today, he's done really, really well. He's shown a lot of character to turn up and play live on Sky. And some of this, the abuse that he got towards the end was on call. But I never really got that breakthrough. So the year on the championship, Pumi played 46 out of 46 games. Like he was like a robot. He wouldn't get injured. And then we had Ben Anik coming through, who was earmarked as the next Joe Hart. Uh, contract was coming to an end. Did you feel you got a fair crack? Crack of a whip there at Sunderland. Like it was it was more the championship years. I thought um, it was just that I never got that little break or never got that little bit of luck. But I I don't look back in any anger or any envy towards my time because for me that was my apprenticeship. I came a young skinny boy from Belfast and I came over, spent six years, went alone a lot, got my experience, and then then I got my move to Wrexham because I went alone to. Wrexham pulled snapped my hamstring at the end of that then I had to take a year at Hereford just to stay in the game and then we got promoted to League One Graham Turner wanted to keep me but he said you'd be number two I said no as I said before I always wanted to play and then Jason phoned me and said would you come play for York and I went I'll come up and have a talk because at the time they were in the conference and I was dropping two divisions and I thought I'll go up and have a chat but I've just got some guarantees from that I'll be number one and it's a two year contract and I'll play and if I don't play I can go and stuff like that so it was music so to me and yeah, obviously yeah. you'd been at the club before so yeah. you knew you knew kind of what to expect going back slightly to the Wrexham spell it, it was obviously a little bit injury hit for you but that was when you broke into the Northern Ireland squad as well wasn't it and you played against Germany and yeah. on the bench against England yeah, around so, that time that must have been a real proud moment for you yeah definitely I mean I was on the brink when I was at Sunderland but I thought that was one of the other things where I need to go and play and try and get in the squad and it was around a time when Laurie Sanchez took over and I think we we're about 120 odd in the world and we just went on this crazy run and it was all about team spirit it was the same squad that turned up and they all worked the socks off for each other and we always had great change room and we just managed for incredibly to beat Spain we were the last team to beat Spain before they went on that crazy run that Euros and the World Cup and then we beat England at home and then we ended up I think before Laurie left about 27th in the in the world so it was just it was crazy yeah so I got my debut I agreed to leave Sunderland at the end of May and I made my debut middle of June and I got contract officially terminated on the 1st of July so you were sort of between clubs then yeah when you yeah. Made your yeah well I already agreed to leave I had my agent hot on the case of trying to get me a club when I was so technically I was in contract but I wasn't and did you swap any shirts with anyone famous in those I don't think for the for the Germany one I swapped because it was my first one I wanted to keep it and then funny enough I was clearing out the other week and there's just names that you forget you know some of the names I, I got like Pepe Reina Georgie Dudek Nigel Martin Paul Robinson some crazy shirts mm. that I got Shea Given young lads these days won't remember them but they're all unbelievable <laughs> players, goalkeepers yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. so when you when you signed back for York obviously you were sold this bit bit of a dream with Colin Walker and you, you were very vocal about you know this was going to be a short stay in non-league obviously that that all changed as we'll, as we'll come on to but you, you were given the squad number 24 and I, yeah. I know that means a lot to you, doesn't it? That number? Yeah, yeah. It was one of the things that I always try to get when I was, obviously when I left Sunderland and didn't manage to get it at the two clubs before and I was offered the number one shirt and I turned around and said, I don't want it. And Jason went, what, really? I was like, no, I want the 24 shirt. And it was because um, while I was at Sunderland, a really good friend of mine lost his battle against depression and committed suicide. So it was just really to honour him. So I got that. And I was, to be fair, I always say that probably from that day onwards, probably my career kicked on because I, I became a number one and played and played regularly. I don't know if you know, but 
I wasn't really a Colin Walker signing. So I, I walked in with my agent and uh, I went straight up to Stairs to the, the boardroom with Jason and basically seen the contract and had a five minutes with my agent and says, can you just get these things ironed out just to make sure? And so he says, oh, right, while well, we get this sorted, you go down and see Colin and walked down into the coach's room and he sat down and he goes, go on then, I know a little bit about you, but what's your strength and weaknesses? And I sat there and I went, oh my God, I'm not his signing. So I went back up the stairs. I said, what's this all about? I'm not, he says, oh, don't worry about it. He says, you're my signing. That's all right, fair enough. So signed, it was Jason signing. Well, I guess you had that assurance that yeah, yeah. you were even number one, or if you weren't, you yeah. were going to be allowed to yeah. go. So as long as, although that, that season obviously wasn't particularly great in the league, which must have been a disappointment for you being in a non-league, but did get into the trophy final at Wembley, that soften it slightly? That No, not for me. To be fair, I was a bit worried. I joined and we had these reassurances and I didn't really know, no disrespect to the players because I didn't really know I'd played in the league a lot and didn't really know the players and I was shocked really that I didn't think we really had a really strong squad and then when I think Foley came in halfway through the season and it started changing a little bit and I thought oh here we go but he just needs time and then we went on the run in the FA Cup but for me it was just a day out and I know this sounds really really bad yeah we just knew that they were superior they they'd steamrolled the league they had uh, Big Morrison up front they had players all over the pitch that were the best in the league and we went there with a game plan really to stop them and they only got the second didn't they sort of very late yeah, on so, yeah. so it was 2-0 but you must have been pleased you weren't wearing purple I mean you want to no I, well yeah so <laughs> it was just for me it set the club up for what we did in the future yeah because when we went back there there were certain players like me Pars, TY that knew what, what it was about so that, that following season obviously was a lot more successful not just for the team but for you personally you were made captain yeah. club of the year first time got to the playoffs stuck in the FA Cup so I mean that was a looking back that must be really one of your highlights of of your career that season yeah really. definitely I mean, it was the year when I think we finished fifth or sixth bottom and we just survived relegation I think it was way Weymouth I think when we stayed up yeah and they only had like an under 18 oh, yeah, sort of team didn't yeah they, really? and then we because of the, the backlog of fixtures we played Friday Sunday we played lose away on the but because we were safe I was taken out of the team and I remember one of the coaches played Steve Torby played because we wanted to put like rest as many people as can because we had Wembley but then in the summer we obviously strengthened and we brought the likes of Alex Lawless and uh, Neil Barrett and strengthened up. So we went on. We went on the run, and I think remember that. I think it was that the year that Brody was just yeah everything that fell to him. Goals, yeah, yeah, scored yeah. unbelievable. So I think we played Crew in the uh, Crew at home, and we were two one down, and then Brody just scored two worldies out of nowhere, and we went on the run. It was just it was absolutely crazy. But yeah, that I think that was the start when we we started building something that was gonna. I think the first year was bit of a shock and then halfway through when 40 came in that was the start of the building process yeah, I, I think from it. a fan's perspective I don't, I don't necessarily think people were that sold on Martin Foyle even though we got to the FA yeah. Trophy final I think they still thought like you said you yeah. know beat Weymouth but did you think that from a playing perspective then that things were building and, and it just needed a little bit yeah I thought for me personally I thought 40 done a fantastic job I think the club was only going one way um, and that's not just back to Colin it was just it was only going one way and that when he comes in at that stage of the season it's can you go on a miraculous run with the same players and try and get the playoffs, which is not going to happen. He's just trying to stay up. And, and I think he got the best out of Brody as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. He? I mean, yeah. you know, I think Colin had loaned him out to Barrow, hadn't he? And yeah. he'd done okay there. But when he came back and, you know, Foyle, obviously an ex-striker himself, I don't know if that had an influence with him on the training ground or whatnot, but he, he definitely seemed to catapult himself into a, a top player, didn't he, the following season, Brody? Yeah, Definitely. So, so that, I just want to talk about that Stoke game then in the FA Cup because that was a that was a day where the team turned up late, didn't they? Because of all the traffic with the weather conditions. Why didn't the players stay over? I've almost went to ask that. It was always 
it was always one of these things where you didn't really find out till late and don't know whether the club were trying to hold money back to bring players in or and we knew that week it was touch and go it was going to be on because it was all snow we hear these rumours that the club get 50% of the gate so why are we not staying over and the, yeah. oh, we heard the other rumours that Stoke have to foot the bill and why are we not doing it but I don't really know why. So I felt really sorry for the players yeah. that day because I remember being there in, in the crowd and there was, we took about 4,000 fans that day. The yeah. atmosphere was fantastic in that way end. Yeah. And I remember knowing that you weren't here. It was like yeah. five to three and then suddenly the players got there and then you were sort of rushing out to do a warm-up. And it, yeah. it was just rushed. It was, I think it was a what we call a microwave warm-up. It was 15, 20 minute warm-up back in and get ready to stand beside them. And you can look at them and we're all rushing out of the changing room and they're sitting waiting for us and were you a bit embarrassed by yeah, that? Yeah, a little yeah. bit, yeah. Didn't get a chance to soak it all up and enjoy the day and it was just all of a sudden it was over. I mean we went one nil up and I think that woke them up a little bit and then all I remember is just a Roy de Lap throw and that day say. it was like a tornado. And, and then per- you have you tried to practice we tried what? to, but you can't replicate it because no. it was that fast. I mean, we we looked at it on TV and then all of a sudden, you, when you see it for the first time, you think, wow, it just comes so flat, so fast. And then the only thing I remember, and I wind him up all the time, is Pars' own goal when he's trying to hook it up the pitch and hook the top corner. But you laugh about them things after. Obviously, it's not funny on the day, but you laugh about it after when it's all done and dusted. And um, obviously, the playoff games that year against Luton, the atmosphere for that home game, when we beat them 1-0 and Brody gets it in the last minute, um, what was it like for you? We look back at them days and we always we always say, like, they were the they were the top team. They were the biggest club, biggest fan base and stuff like that. But it never phased us. We we always, for some weird reason, we always had this thing that we had their number. Somebody gave stats out. I think in the 12 games that I played against them, we won 10. And I kept ridiculous of something like eight or nine clean sheets. And I think the, one of the games was when I got sent off and Smudge went and go and we got beat mm. 4-0. I think we got them in the semi-final of the trophy as well. Wembley twice a year as well. So it's like we always seemed to bump into them. It was either them or Mansfield. We always bump in, bumped into them. It was always really close, but it was always... We always had that feeling that we had the number and we could be solid against them and try and break them on the counter-attack and stuff like that. But, I mean, the players they had compared to our squad, I mean, they were paying astronomical amounts of money for the level that we were at. Yeah, and they tried um, to get TUI as well, didn't yeah, they, at yeah. one stage? And yeah, I mean... Obviously did get lawless. At, uh, and then, obviously, the away game, you know, got got through, but the, the scenes on the pitch with their fans, what was that like as a player? All I remember is I finished at the top end and I come through and I seen the the cordon and they let me through the cordon and I bumps into tiles we sh- swapped shirts and put our arm around each other and he, we always had the deepest respect for each other and he just said you deserve that over two legs I can't say anything else and go on just go on and win it you, you've been class and if not I'll see you next season so he's put my arm around and we're walking down a tunnel the next thing I just get this big massive boot from behind from in the back and I like lean forward and he he has a go at the Luton fan I thought oh, what's that all about so what goes in the tunnel says see you tiles goes in the change room nobody's there I went oh my god I says hold on I need to get to the bar because Chairman's promised us we win today is a free drink in the bar so <laughs> I'm straight in the shower and shower and next thing come out st- still nobody's there I've got the towel around me the lads start coming in and then they're going oh where were you I says I just came off the pitch I says and they, they went oh we've got, we've got we've been punched we've been coins through us we've, like, we've been at the back of the way and they went <laughs> I thought they were joking Yeah. so it wasn't until we got to the bar and it was live on Sky Sports News that it was like headlines and breaking Did news Did you start playing up the back injury then at that <laughs> no, no. well my boot <laughs> no, no. I just like oh wow you, you are telling the truth so it was all of a shock after me yeah, after yeah. me so I didn't I wasn't involved in the trying to hide and I just went up the tunnel as normal so I don't know I, I don't know why I think I was too, probably too engrossed in a conversation with the tiles obviously the Wembley game 
what's your memories of, of that, that game? You said before that you know you went there to win. It was no longer kind of a, a day out like the FA Trophy yeah. final. I always remember it was really wet, and it started off really well for me. And then always this thing it always gets thrown back at me now. This first goal against Oxford, where for me as a goalkeeper, it's that split second decision. You've got to go if you got to go. If you've got to do it, if you do it, you don't. You're in no man's land. And I always say to people when people laugh at me, I say, if I had a hundred times that split the second decision, I'd probably go for it again. Because in my eye, we had a zippy, really slick surface. I thought it was just going to zip off quicker, and it held up a little bit. And oh, when I started, I thought, oh, I'm in trouble here. But I actually got to the ball and missed it because. Constable, he actually ripped my shorts. So after the goal scored and they're all celebrating, I had to go to the sideline and get a new pair of shorts. All my shorts were ripped. So I actually did get there. But what I say to people was that he didn't score that goal. No, it was Matt Green. Yeah, back two or three passes and he scored from the middle of the pitch. So it was my fault. I put my hand up. But I, when I go back to when I said I got knockbacks when I was a young kid, I seen that as a knockback. And I always thought to myself, right, I'm going to stay at the football club. I'm going to get this club promoted. And I'm going to show a bit of character. And that's why I think I did. I mean, I was rock bottom. I was getting all sorts of abuse on social media. We need to get rid of him now. So I thought, no, I'll just keep my head down, keep my mouth shut and just get on with it. I mean, that game as well, 1-0 became 2-0 really quickly, didn't it? And then they had a few chances as well. And you were Clark, yeah, yeah, yeah. Made it with a slippy surface, yeah. ended up scoring an own goal. And then after that, York dominated that second half. Yeah. And I remember Rankin's chance towards yeah. the end. And I think Alex Lawless had another good chance as well. We just couldn't get that equaliser. And it was one of them games where if you get the equaliser, I think you're going to win it. And then your mistake all of a sudden forgot about. Yeah. And it was not talked about as much. I thought we'd give a really good account of ourselves. This is what I'll go back to. It's like that stepping stone. We've gone pro- probably for a day out against Stevenage. We've gone to Oxford and matched them. Now we've got confidence and belief that we can do it. And I think that's where the stepping stone went. And then when we got to the two finals at Wembley, it was weird. We knew what was going to happen. We just knew. Like people were going, no, I'm telling you now, we're going to win these two finals. The, the following season after the Oxford game, there was a bit of a hangover, wasn't it? And obviously Martin Foyle left. Yeah. It was a 5-0 defeat at Mansfield. Yeah, and obviously Millsy came in. And one of the first things he did was set the captaincy off you, which he said you were fine about it. We you fine about yeah, it all. Yeah, for me it was, I don't want to be, no, like a John Terry and no, I'm, I'm captain, nobody takes the armband off me. Not, not a case of that and he brought me in the office and he told me his reasonings and it was basically, he doesn't believe that a goalkeeper should be captain and it, you're right what you're saying, I think we did have a little bit of a hangover. The quality of players were, that were coming in were always, seemed to be getting better and better. There was always one or two that the club obviously got wind of and took a risk but you look at the team, like your Banges, your Merediths, your Lawlesses, Jonathan Smiths. I mean, the front three, your Walkers, your Blurs. Yeah. Brody obviously left, but he yeah. left a quarter of a million pounds, yeah. didn't he? So that, that money could be reinvested in the team. So yeah. maybe, you know, it was distributed, you know, across the pitch rather than kind of in one position. Yeah. The Rotherham games in the FA Cup were significant for me in terms of believing what, what Mills was about. Obviously, two two more clean sheets for yourself, nil-nil away. Yeah. But then the home game, beating them three-nil. I mean, they were, I think they were riding high. We just dismantled them that second half. And, and again, the atmosphere in, in the in the David Longer stand was, you know, second to none for me. And With Millsy, came in and all of a sudden it was just a, a structured system. We're not hitting the long, we're not hitting big ranks anymore. We're going to play through the thirds. You want you to play the full-backs into the number four, which has got Kerr. We're going to play through Curry and we're going to play football what they call the tick attack away now some the fans I think took a little while to warm up to it because you, you heard shouts from the stands get it forward it's too slow it's thing like this but there was always a system of attacking and it was a system where we stopped teams we in certain areas we showed teams into certain positions and then we go press 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 and it was us 
and it was just refreshing and you just knew that even in training all the training was around making us better and it was exciting and it was brilliant under Millsy I mean his man management skills is probably the best I've ever had in my career he always put your arm around you always had time for you because he's one of Cluffy's sort of disciples wasn't he yeah. was there a bit of that in him do you think yeah I think there was a little bit of the old school you know it was a lot of being made up that we, we drank a lot we didn't Forest Green away was his first game and he walked through the door and I remember Big Ranks holding the door and I Ranks is massive and he goes to the bar Gaffer goes to the bar and goes what do you want lads and I knew straight away I said pint of Guinness you sit at the Big Ranks with a pint of black and water and you see all the young boys with pints of water and then you see me T.Y. and the old boy Scott Kerr with a pint of Guinness it was just it was old school but we didn't have a pint every away game no I mean, I think the only only times I can remember in my head was the day before we won at Wembley against Luton. He brought us Hyde Park, I think. It was a pub in the middle of Hyde Park and he bought us a pint then. But he was always telling us stories about what Cloughy did. So he believed that that was the right way. It was building team spirit and stuff like that. So That 2012, just sum up what it was like being in in that team. It was brilliant. I mean, it was the best change room I've ever had. It was just, you were getting out of bed every morning and looking forward to getting in. We were playing with a freedom. We were playing with a confidence I remember going down 1-0 in games and it was a shock because we didn't really concede much. Keeping clean sheets for galore, but then we were never panicked because we knew we had Blurry, we knew we had Ash, we knew we had Jason Walker, we knew Paddy had goals from midfield. We just knew we had goals in the team and we were just going to places like Bath, roll them over, Salisbury, roll them over. Just I like Braintree at home, yeah. 6-2, wasn't it? I yeah. mean, and, uh, and that Grimsby goal as well that Jason Walker yeah, scored yeah. the other that head. Started, I mean, just... That started for me. We went actually out to the left wing, back into Books. Books switched it, I think, to Banj. And then Banj put the crossover head kick. So it was like we played through the thirds. And and obviously the Luton game, 30-odd thousand fans had, and, and they scored after 70 seconds, I think. Andre Gray was yeah. now in the Premier League. Was that again that we're not going to panic here, even though it was so early and it was in a big, you know, massive stadium? I always remember the biggest thing people say to me, what was your standout thing of the season? It was getting green sent off in the first leg in Mansfield. Now, I had stud marks down my chest from the first one, so it should have been a straight red, but he didn't actually touch the ball in the second one. I think two days before the game, I got called into the club and there's a policeman sat in there. And I went, what have I done now? He says, um, Michael, and we've seen the online hate you've got. We're going to give you a police escort as soon as you get off the bus away. So, all right, okay, no problem. He says, do you want to report? I said, no, it's just key boy warriors. It's all empty threats. He says, oh, we're just going to be on the safe side. So I get there. The two policemen follow me every single... As soon as I got off the pitch or under the pitch, they're always there waiting for me. And I remember we played... I played in the first half down at the, the, the R end with the York fans. And I remember second half because... The dugouts, the change rooms on the left of the, I remember just a little short run and all of a sudden I just heard 7,500 fans just gave me absolute abuse. I thought, I don't care, give it to me. My other 10 teammates are just going to play. So you go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So I took it all on the thing and then we won 1-0 and I always remember on the bus after I said, we've won it now. And they're going, you can't say that. I said, I'm telling you now. That was the that was the bigger game than Luton. And I remember we went down 1-0 early. Gray, he's like, miss hit one and it's spun in. And I remember they went mad, 30-odd thousand Luton fans. And I remember I didn't even boot the ball to the pitch, I just threw it out. And we just went back into our formation and we just sat there and we had the ball in the centre circle and we waited them. And we actually waited till they got back into our formation. We didn't kick off early, we waited. And I remember 10 minutes later, they knew what we knew, that we we were that confident. We started just passing the ball about and then 30-odd thousand Luton fans just went quiet. And then we had we had this thing at the club, this this togetherness. 
And all of a sudden, our fans knew what was happening. We were still 1-0 down at this stage. Just play our game. Just play our game. And all of a sudden, we just dominated the game. We were that solid. We had three We had three defenders playing midfield. We had Banj, Mez and Par sitting in front. We had Pars doing the, the screening of the back four. And we had the legs of Banj and Mez because they, they were athletes. And we had Gibbo, left back, Doggy, old head, smudger. Mm. No, Charles played right back because Banjo went in the midfield so we had loads of experience we just... and I think you're right I mean Luton maybe dominated the ball in that last 20 minutes I sort of had in my head that they had a lot of chance but they didn't really no. I mean I don't think you had a save to make in no. that last 20 minutes obviously you bring in experienced players like Charles and you've played with Pars for 7-8 years you know Smudger from his time before he comes straight slots straight back in Doggy's an old head you're probably so. coaching Gibbo more and look yeah. what Gibbo's doing now because when Gibbo first came to the football club all he wanted to do was spray 40, 50, 60 yard balls and it was like going out of play and we are going, no, calm down, just play your game, just think about more about your defending. It was fantastic. I mean, I always say the biggest thing about that year was the change room. The, the spirit in the change room was, was phenomenal and the party in Benidorm after it for three days was really good as well. <laughs> Me, TY and Smudge didn't sleep on the last night. We just got straight on the plane. I think the, the only funny story I can remember was Remember Eugene Bopp? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're on the strip in Benidorm and he's gone missing for 40 minutes, 45 minutes. He comes back with this big case and we're thinking, what's, what's he got here? And he goes, lads, a German accent, lads, lads, lads. He says, got you a present. He opens this box and he's got us all cigars. So there's like 25 people smoking cigars in the strip, <laughs> like <laughs> celebrating the, the Wembley twice. It was just crazy. When you'd got promoted, were you thinking that you might get a Northern Ireland recall at that stage? It was weird. When Nigel took over at Northern Ireland, he had sent out all letters to the squad. Letters saying, I'm taking over, this is where we're going to be, and we're not going to change much. I never got one. So I knew straight away that was me done. So then I, I was doing interviews with people, and they were twisting my words. I was like on a phone call to Belfast, and they were twisting my words. And So I always pushed and pushed. I absolutely loved going away and training. Representing your country was unbelievable for me, but... Deep down, I knew it was never going to happen. I knew it would have to be a lot of injuries and they were going a different direction with the goal. Was that because you're in the non-league, do you think? Do you think there was a little bit of snobbiness? As a... Yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. But even when we got promoted... And obviously that first season was a tough one. We started off fairly well. I know we got beat against Wickham on the opening day, but we had some good wins and won at Barnet. Was was Gary Mills unlucky to get sacked, do you think? I think if, if you ask Millsy himself, and he's honest, I, I think he's probably been too loyal to the players that have gone up I mean the, the step up was big with the, and I didn't realise how big it was it was a massive step up you were going into places like Wickham you were bigger going, crowds as well you, know, you, as yeah, well, you were going to a strong team every week you weren't going to the sometimes you're going to Barrow no disrespect to Barrow and you were going to Bath and you were going to Evsfleet I personally believe I should have given him a little bit more time I think he could have turned it round it speaks for itself I think it was the right decision in the end the most important thing for that year was at that stage stay we up. had to stay up we had to stay in the league what's it like when you're on a bad run like that no you, you try everything you possibly can it's the complete opposite when you're doing well everything flows you don't talk about it you just get on with it you know and all of a sudden you're you're now in a rut you're trying new things it's not working you're trying new trying to be sit a little bit deeper it's not working you're having team meetings all the time you're having meetings about the gaffer looking for something to click and might be a goal that gives you a bit of confidence it might be a clean sheet it might be a, a scrappy win um, which we nearly got a rob yeah, from didn't we towards yeah. the end of his reign I remember yeah. Matty Blair scored and 1-0 up and uh, Jack O'Connell at yeah. centre-half that yeah. night who I thought was terrific and, yeah. and then they score in three times to equalise so it's just it's just a rut that's all I could say it's just like a, it's like a deep, big deep hole and you 
trying to dig out of it. What did you think when, when Nigel Worthington was appointed? Obviously, well, that's me out. Or... I thought I was a goner. Yeah. I, I definitely came through the door and I thought, oh my God. And then all the lads are laughing because they're all thinking, you couldn't have picked anybody worse in this whole wide world to come through that door because he's reading them interviews and then I'm thinking, right, he needs to have his chat with the team and then I'm going to have to chat with him and I've got to like somehow say to him, trust me, I didn't say them things. So it was actually Curry. Curry put his hand up and he said, um, Gaffer, um, welcome to the club. Um, is there anything you'd like to be called? Nigel went, just call me anything. Is that right, Michael? And I went, and I've sat behind him. I went, oh my God. The next thing, he's walked out the door of Torby and he goes, and he can have a chat. And all the lads are going, nice to see it. Nice knowing you. Is it like being back at school? Yeah, like, all the best and all this. All, I'm walking out the door thinking anything could happen here. And basically he walked in the door and he said, I know you didn't say the things in the paper because if you remember, you actually wrote me a letter. I says, yeah, I did. Um, he just said, that situation's different. He says, I thought we needed to go a different direction. There was goalkeepers playing a higher level. Even though we were younger, we thought that we would break them in sooner and get them used to the, the setup. Everything's gone before me and you under the carpet, fresh slate. And I went, brilliant. He says, I want you to be number one. I've heard good things about you from and around the club. And from that day on, it was just... It was different. Next season, the season after, you were sort of phased out a little bit, were you? Were you disappointed with how it ended? I think things happen from both sides. I mean, I didn't paint myself in glory. I think the year we stayed up, we I think we won away at Dagenham. It was a crazy end because we had 10 games. We won something like 7 out of 10. And every time you're going to change room, you think you've, you've stayed up. But no, we need to win again. We need to win mm. again. And then we, got, we had to go to Dagenham. We stayed up. I always remember I had a little groin strain in the end of pre-season and I was going into the gaffer and I wasn't training Monday to Thursday I was only training Friday and playing Saturday and it got to the point about middle of October and I'd gone to the gaffer and I said gaffer this is ridiculous I need to pull out and he said to me and you can't we've got no money at the football club to replace you so you're going to have to play on so I said alright I'll do it for the club but my, my performances were poor they were really bad I was struggling to kick it, it was, felt like it was going to snap every time and I got through I remember Aaron McCary came in and he played and I was coming back to fitness. And then we had Northampton away. And it was Tom Allen's debut at centre-back. And they were flying at the time. And we won 2-0. Clean sheet. Then we played... Yeah, Accrington. Two two clean sheets out of three. And then all of a sudden I remember... I see this big six-foot-six guy walking in. I went, oh, goalkeeper. Torps goes to me. Gaffer wants to see you. Goes in. And it was really heated. Really heated. And he says, like... Torps has gone at me saying, you don't come for... I says, I'm catching the lads' thrones in the penalty spot. Says, all you're doing is you're listening to social media and you're listening to what the fans say. I says, I've been at this club for so long. I says, only now it's been labelled. I don't go off a line. I says, it's ridiculous. You're just trying to pick up things. And then Werther attorney says, right, we've argued here for an hour. This lad's come in. I'm telling you, I want to see your reaction. You give me the right reaction. You're hurt. I like it. We've had an opportunity to sign this kid. We've been told this kid's going to be something special. You're on the bench. Get on with it. So I've gone home and done the stupidest thing I've ever done. Straight on my Twitter bio, I've put ex York City goalkeeper. Shouldn't have done it. But I was angry. Brassy's seen it. He's at Barry. He wants to sign me. I goes in the next day. Gaffer, want to go to Barry. Contract's at the end of the year. I'm thinking, if he's not going to play me now, I can get released at the end of the year. I need to do what I did before. Go and play somewhere. If I do well at Barry, they sign me, I'm, I'm kicked on again. So I've gone and he goes, no, you're not going anywhere. I said, Gaffer, my contract's at the end of the year. I said, I'm not going to play for this kid. This kid's going to play every single game. And he went to her and said to me, you don't know it yet, but I'm giving you a two-year contract at the end of the year, so shut your mouth and get on with it. I went, all right, no problem. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so I always remember, it was, I think the year after that, it was Jason Mooney. I just thought, the goalie coach has seen what Pope he's done. He can come for everything. We're going to sign another big giant and he's going to do the same thing. But goalkeeper's not about coming for crosses and Pope he's made some unbelievable saves. And I'm just thinking, every time there was a goalkeeper that came in, I just thought, 
apart from Popey, when I say this, I thought, I'm better than him. I need to just keep my mouth shut, get my head down. So I always say to people, I was at York for eight years and I think I worked on the six managers. So I must have done something right with my attitude and my dedication and stuff like that. So it was always a case of even Bobby Lesnick. I always thought to myself, I, am, I still believe I'm better. I had that belief that I'm better. And I, and I did get back in and playing. What's it like with the other goalkeepers then, even though they're taking your spot? Sometimes you're in a bad mood because you, even if you take somebody else's place, they don't talk to you on a Friday. Cause of, but the next thing, the next day on a Saturday, they put your arm in. It's got nothing to do with you. Support you. It's that union thing. The start of the end for me was when I'd got in over Bobby away at Mansfield. And I always remember that the Hartlepool game when Dave Winfrey got sent off and we got bombarded second half and I pulled two top corner saves out and we stayed up and I thought, I've saved Wilcox's job. I kept four clean sheets in seven games towards the end of the season. And you're edging towards that yeah. record as well, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, towards the record. I knew the writing was on the wall because I'm an old dad. My newborn baby was just due on the end of May, start of June. And I've gone in and I'm buzzing. I'm thinking, yeah, no, no way I'm getting released. There's no way because he can't get rid of me. Fans are absolutely... No love of me and stuff like that and walks in he goes we're going to offer you 50% pay cut and I went what? I says oh, what am I going to do? Don't really want to be travelling up and down the country I'm going to be number two next year I thought anyway I'm going to stay I'm going to sign it and I just hope he gets sacked and that really sounds really bad because I'm thinking to take your 50% pay cut get and see if you can get back in and I did I got back in again well I only played three games that last year because obviously Scotty came in I got in and was man of the match against Wickham my very last game for York City I still think I'm going to get another year because I've done really well in training because he's he's pulled me in February saying it's not the right time to put you in and I'm saying to him but I'm old enough to deal with it and then after the Morecambe game he said I should have put you in earlier and so I've gone in he goes right I'm going to give you one year contract I can get my testimonial I can have a crack at the, the record and he says to me I'm going to be number one again in the conference I got into the office, contracts there, pens in my hand. You read through it like you always do just in case. And it's a 10-month contract. I went... So you won't be paid for the summer? No. I thought, that's a pay cut. I went, no, it's not. I says, every single player that's football goes on 12 months, but why am I on 10? And I went, not signing that. And then all of a sudden I thought, that's it. I'll tell you what, I'll give you, out of respect, I'll give you six weeks. I think by, by the FA rules, you've got to give them 28 days. So the contract's valid. They can only withdraw it after 28 days. I said, I'll give you the 28 days and give me the full 12 months. And then phone calls started happening from teams like Geisley, Harrogate, Bradford Park Avenue, Oldham. All these clubs are starting to come back in. I'm thinking, no, out of respect for York, I'll wait and see if they come with it. And then I just remember in the middle of June, nothing was happening. Goalie coach is saying to me, have you signed yet, Craig Hinchcliffe? Have you signed? Have you signed? I said, no, I still haven't signed yet. Gaffer's on his way up to Scotland. He says it's getting done. Don't worry. By this stage, Cressy's pulled me and said, just want to have a chat with eye to eye. There was no job offer at eye to eye. Three days later, Cressy goes, they liked you really that much. Can you come back and have another chat? We're going to offer you a job. Next thing, third chat was, right, we've got a job of goalkeeping coach. And I thought, right, there's a job here, being a goalie coach on my doorstep. Don't really want to be doing traveling away, playing for a team like Wrexham where I'm away Monday, Tuesday night, come back Wednesday, go back Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I thought, I'm going to do it. So out of respect for the club, I walked in. It's the first day of pre-season. Walked in, told him face to face, says, it's the hardest decision I've ever made in my career. I says, but I'm going to have to call a quit on my pro career because I can't just turn this job, I can't turn it down. So just just finish off, I've got a few quick fire questions for you. Best manager you've ever played for? In my York career, definitely Gary Mills. 
whole um, career. Got to put Laurie Sanchez up there. Got the biggest respect for Peter Reid because he was the one that gave me the first chance. I'd say 85, 90% of my managers are respect and really like working under. Best player you've played with? Best one at York, Andre Bucard. Crazy okay. ability. Couldn't get the ball off him. I remember going away at Kidderminster and it was the pitch was frozen and we thought that it was going to be called off and this kid signs in the afternoon, turns up, and he comes on second half and go, we all went, wow, what have we signed here? But there's Mez. Mez is up there. Um, crazy athlete. Nobody beat him in a one-on-one situation. And then obviously T.Y. T.Y.'s one of the stiffest men I've ever seen in my life, but could he read a game? He read situations, four or five moves before it happened and it was just cruise control. It was brilliant. Best player played against? I'd say I have always have a battle with James Constable. Remember Gio Agron, big tall centre-half for Mansfield with a long throw. And you had Matt Reed. You had a big friend of mine now, Kev Ellison, on the pitch. Absolute nightmare. But I played with Kev before... And he would give you a stick, but it was always in a good way. So I enjoyed that side of it, trying to get in people's heads and getting an advantage. What, what about your, your favourite game you've ever played in? But the one, that, obviously, the one that sticks out is definitely loot. And then, obviously, my debut for Northern Ireland. And then, for me, I look back and, Jesus, did I really keep 116 clean sheets? You know, it's like crazy because I can only remember about 20, 25 of them. Do you have any regrets? Yeah, I mean, I always wind, I always wind people up because towards the end, I came on second half with Jason Mooney. I was Cambridge, kept a clean sheet, and were those last game I went off half time ill nil nil so I've put them two so that's, together that's one yeah, yeah I've put them two together but no I think for every one that you think oh I should have had a clean sheet there there's always ones where you think oh, I've got lucky there I'm just honoured and thankful that my body held up for that long and obviously towards the end I got to know Tommy and Tommy wanted me to break it but Tommy's a absolute legend Tommy Forgan's an mm. absolute club legend so just to sit in between him and Graham Crawford is crazy really well Michael thank you so much for coming in I've really enjoyed that. Yeah. I feel like we've covered so much. Thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. So that's Michael Ingham there speaking exclusively to York Hospital Radio as part of our York Hospital Ball podcast. Really appreciate him giving up his time. And he's since given up his time again for York Hospital Radio when he became a co-commentator in a recent game against Altrinham. Unfortunately, I think he thought he was a kiss of death by the end of it, but he appreciated the invitation to come back to Boone Crescent one last time. This episode was sponsored by HP Plumbing. Don't forget, they do 10-year warranties on every gas boiler installation. Give them a call on 01904 750222. Finally, I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you to all those people who've got in touch since we've released the first podcast with Andy McMillan. I have to say I'm really, really humbled and massively appreciate all the comments that people have made. It really means a lot to me and Keith and Dennis who, who put a lot of hours in to kind of make the podcast work. It makes it worthwhile when you get some really nice comments like I've been receiving. So keep them coming in. Hopefully you'll join us again next week for episode three. <laughs>